0: This is Believe and Georgia Dogs Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It's time to awaken an entire nation. I'll be a dog till I die.
1: Between the hedges, you fly. 90,000 in the stands, I'm going to do my dance, make it look fine. Coach, put me in the
0: game.
1: UGA, yeah, the name. Yeah, the offense going to turn up, but the defense going to win us the game.
0: Here's your host, Corey Burton.
2: All right, welcome in to a yet another edition of the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Corey Burton. We've got another great, exciting show, a very unique show, because we welcome on in this episode, we welcome on. Ryan Roberts of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects show here on the Believe Network. And he also has his own site, the NFLDraftBible.com. So that's going to be interesting to hear from him. Uh, We're going to talk to Ryan about the NFL recent draftees, um, kind of what the process was during COVID as far as evaluating prospects and and the whole draft process. And then we're going to talk about some upcoming prospects for this this Georgia team that's uh, about to compete this fall. Uh, More uh, specifically, Jamie Newman and Richard LeCount and Monty Rice, see where they all fit in. Um, And so we're going to take a look at some of that uh, with Ryan, and and he's going to give us some insight on kind of what dogs to look for, potentially for the next level. And uh, so that's going to be exciting. Uh, What's also exciting is if you want to advertise with the show, please visit our folks at Believe.com. If you want to follow the show on social media, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Believe in Dogs. You can can check us out there. Also on all the available podcasting uh, platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Luminary, Stitcher, and TuneIn, and or TuneIn. And so you can uh, can access us there and give us a like, a subscribe. You can rate us on iTunes. Give us some feedback. We always like to hear from you and kind of see what direction you want to take the show. So. Without further ado, let's, uh, let's get on to uh, Ryan Roberts of NFLDraftBible.com and the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. Here's Ryan. Joining me is a very special guest on the Believe in Georgia podcast. It's uh, Ryan Roberts of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. Ryan, how you doing, man?
1: I'm good, man. How's everything on your end?
2: Everything's great. Just uh, just getting the uh, just getting the ball rolling here on, the, on on my podcast. Everything's starting to kind of populate into the into the iTunes and Spotify's and and things like that. So uh, we should be here the next few days. Should be um, often going full steam ahead. So um, I wanted to have you on, Ryan, uh, because inter- interestingly enough, uh, UGA is is in the tops of the uh, of the league as far as active players in the NFL, and uh, George is always kind of been at the top of that list. And there's draft prospects every year. There's guys that get drafted too high, too low and and, uh, and things like that. So I kind of wanted to talk to you about uh, some of that stuff. But before we get into uh, specific players, um, the global pandemic has really, really thrown a wrench into the draft prospect. I think uh, the draft process, I should say. And and uh, I know the, the combine was like the last live event before things started shutting down. So has, since the combine? How has COVID uh, affected the NFL draft process uh, up until draft day, and how is it going to affect it going forward?
1: I mean, it, it was it was a major shift. Uh, I was I was fortunately enough able to be at the combine this year, and it, it was something where you kind of started to hear inklings about COVID nineteen, the pandemic, everything. Start you know servicing a little bit, but I, I feel like no one was really taking it super serious early on, and then. It felt like everything just had that dramatic shift really quickly, and it affected a lot of things. Specifically, uh, when I I think of the guys that are most affected by it was the guys that weren't able in this past draft, the 2020 draft, to have that process of potentially playing in an all-star game going to the combine, being on the pro day circuit, because most of the pro days got shut down right right, um, right off the bat. So a lot of guys didn't have those verified numbers, opportunities to meet with teams. It really hand, uh, handicapped a lot of those, those smaller school guys who hadn't had any opportunity during the draft process to really get their name out there in any way. Because, you know, every year – it's, it just takes one scout at one random pro day to get a glimpse of some athletic traits and then drive him back to the film late. And then that's usually how a guy might be drafted late from a, you know, X, Y, and Z small school that not many people know about, but Hey, we're going to take a gamble on those athletic traits. But obviously that really prevented that from happening. I think there was a total of six FCS players drafted um, this year which was cut in half. Uh, on average, it's been right around 13. So it really, I mean, if you were a power five kid that had the opportunity to go to a bowl game, I mean, um, go, go play in an all-star game, you were way above the curve. If you were a power five kid in general, you were well above the curve. That's kind of where people were really um, pointing their eyes to just because it's, it's still a business. You're, you're kind of, um, you're putting your name on the line for some of these guys. And it's harder to take a gamble on a player that you don't have a full scope of athletic traits, you don't have a full scope of meeting in person. Uh, So we saw a heavy amount of power five guys get drafted. That was the majority of the draft picks this year. And it's making everything just kind of shifting into the 2021 cycle, very uncertain, you know, on top of, will there be a football season? Will it be delayed? Will it be reduced? What is the story with what the football season is? That's going to change a lot of things in this um, in this atmosphere for the NFL draft mix of, okay, we already didn't have any availability to spring evaluations. We can't have notes in that way. If there's no seasoners or reduced, are, what are kids going to do? Are they going to um, sit out if it's reduced? Are they going to transfer if there's only some conferences that aren't playing? So I feel like it's a – big question mark right now. That's kind of changing every single day. I, I'm just at this point, you know, just continuing to watch the 2019 film remaining hopeful and, and, you know, God willing that we're going to have a football season this year.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's all up in the air. It's all crazy. And, you know, the, the scouts are the ones that it that, that are probably going to be impacted the most moving forward because You know, what you said, these kids may, you know, some of these prospects may sit out the season if it, you know, if it's not in their favor and, and do these scouts kind of have, or will they be able to, you know, for the kids that are sitting out, uh, be able to have the, you know, some sort of, you know, mini combines and, you know, evaluation uh, sessions, things like that. Are they going to be able to do anything like that creatively?
1: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, so right now uh, I work for NFL Draft Bible and we're working with some of the kids that are still unsigned from this past draft that, uh, you know, didn't have the opportunity to get those verified numbers. So they are running these these American National Combines, uh, which have been in St. Louis. uh, We have one in Baltimore. There was one in Atlanta this past weekend. There was a Houston one. There's going to be a a Los Angeles one eventually whenever, you know, they kind of give us the go. That's going to happen. But they're kind of making it so that the unsigned guys might have an opportunity to get those verified numbers so that an NFL team or a CFL team, even though it's, it looks like the CFL is kaputs for this year, uh, have an opportunity to potentially get signed. So it's I feel like people are trying their best. There's obviously a market for it right now. If you can provide those opportunities for players, it's, it's an awesome thing to do. But, you know, it's just – I just feel like everything's such in question. And you're already hearing about some schools uh, out west canceling football. And that's kind of like my thing is that, you know, just from a player perspective, if if like let's say the Pac-12 cancels football for the year, the University of Cal or whatever, there's some legit talent out there. Are those kids going to get a granted immediate entrance into, let's say, the um, the supplemental draft? Are they going to be allowed to transfer schools? Like there's there's just so many – things that are strange and then kind of, I didn't even talk really about the the scouting experience of everything. You know, I think about the guys that are, you know, uh, employed by an NFL team and usually this time now they're starting to, you know, get into that the fall camp flow of things and they'll be on campus visits and everything like that. So now it's just regulate a home and it, it really Cuts kind of the process in half for a degree, because a lot of those guys, man, you you want to talk to them in person. You want to know what type of person they are, because these NFL teams aren't just investing in just a football player. They're investing in a person. They're investing in a, you know, a potential person, a potential employee that's going to be a part of your organization for the next four plus years. So there's there's so many moving parts to it. And I feel like people are doing their best. But, I mean, this is something we're dealing with that's never happened before. So I, I just feel like everyone's just kind of taking it one day at a time right now.
2: I mean, that's really all you can do. So l- let's, let's look backwards now. So, um, you know, the story, I feel like for Georgia, the story of the draft uh, happened on day three. Jake Fromm uh, falls all the way to the fifth round. And, you know, some some projections had him going as high as second round. So what, in your opinion, was the reason for his fall?
1: I I think that Jake Fromm falls into the bucket of being a low ceiling, high floor type of quarterback. I think at worst, he is a player that can settle into a backup role for a long time. I I don't know if there's necessarily a high ceiling. I had an early fourth round grade on Jake Fromm, which might be relatively low comparative to a lot of other people. It, it's just so tough because if, if you're looking at Jake Fromm and you're, and you're trying to sell yourself on him being a starting quarterback, I feel like everything around him just needs to be so perfect. And obviously quarterback position is very dependent on supporting cast offensive line. There, there's a so, uh, coaching staff organization. Like there's so many factors that go into being a successful starting quarterback. But for Jake Fromm, I don't think that there's anything about him that necessarily elevates him uh, for, well, I should say elevates the players around him that he can do some stuff when everything isn't perfect. But for a player like him, I think that he can settle into a starting role. I think he has a good shot at being the backup in Buffalo and uh, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. Can he continue to develop? Can he master his craft? Cause he's a player that needs to be on time all the time. And you know, he does a pretty solid job about it. It's just him about being consistent day in day out. And then hopefully if he's able to continue to develop, might be a player that eventually, whether it's not the Bills or not, is a player that somebody might take a look at and say, hey, we have a good organization here. We have a good supporting cast. We can win with Jake Fromm right now. So I just feel like it was just kind of a limited ceiling. And, uh, you know, some people, th- that it wasn't worth taking a gamble on for them at that point.
2: Right. And understandably so. And, um, you know, a lot of teams are probably – um, saying, "Whoo!" Uh, after his uh, social media gaffe um, back in, I, I guess it was May. All the months run together at this point, but um, you know, I imagine he's recovered from that.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, it was uh, it was obviously a big story for, you know, like a day and a half. The Harry, it, it just you know, unfortunately, he said something very unfortunate. Um, I, I've never had a personal conversation with Jake, so I, I don't want to. Have a judge to his character based upon one one you know very poorly, um, ch- very poor choice of words. But it, it seems that he's recovered. I know there's a lot of people calling for his immediate release that obviously didn't happen. So mm-hmm. Buffalo Bills seems like did their homework on the kid and everything I've heard about him is he's a very hardworking you know very spiritual person that is a is a good young man in the locker room. So seems he was able to recover. Seems that the Buffalo Bills. You know, know what type of person they have, and that they believed them enough that it wasn't as escalated of an issue for them.
2: Let's talk offensive line. Uh, one of the one of the surprises uh, to me was Andrew Thomas. He wasn't the top rated offensive tackle, but he certainly was picked in that spot at number four overall to the New York Giants. What made him leap to the top of the pile?
1: I, I well, so for me, he actually was my top rated offensive tackle. I felt like we were kind of hearing down the stretch there like some positions you sort of gamble on the quote-unquote you know long-term potential for a guy like Andrew Thomas there is just so much consistency and I feel like in an offensive tackle position you want a guy that hits that baseline of consistency day in day out Andrew Thomas you know what you're getting two-year starter at left tackle started on the right side he has the versatility to play both sides and then he goes to the combine. And I know it was it was a crazy judgment by some people, but some people were questioning: is he a good athlete? Is he long enough? And then he goes and he has like 36-inch arms. He tests fine. Everything across the board is just it just continued to check boxes. So I just feel like for Andrew Thomas, it was checking all these boxes. Plus, you add the tape in, which was super consistent all um, you know, all three years that he was at Georgia's. So I, I just feel like Andrew Thomas was a, a no-brainer for especially at Dave Gettleman, who loves, you know, those those road graders obviously up front. Andrew Thomas makes his living as, as a run blocker. He's a very solid pass blocker as well. But in the run game, he gets after it. And he just fits what Dave Gettleman likes. And it, he gets an experienced offensive tackle, battle, battle test in the SEC, who is a guy that, again, day in and day out, you know what Andrew Thomas is bringing to your team.
2: Absolutely. And it, it helps when you have some guy named Saquon Barkley, I think, uh, <laughs> You know, it helps when you have him running behind you. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was a very good pickup for the for the Giants. I was surprised because it didn't kind of jump out at me. I guess as as much as as you uh, with doing the deep diving, but um, glad to see it. Uh, speaking of uh, offensive tackles, you know Isaiah Wilson. Uh, talk about a perfect fit going to the Titans uh, late in the first round. Uh, they get their right tackle to replace Conklin. Does that um, does he make an immediate impact in the run game?
1: Yeah, I mean, so they, they obviously lost Jack Conklin this offseason. They're starting right tackle. I feel like Isaiah Wilson is going to kind of be a plug-and-play guy, and you said it. I mean, a perfect situation for him, perfect scheme. That's a run-first football team. That is what Isaiah Wilson does best at, you know, six seven plus two hundred three 345 pounds. He is a humongous young man, ton of power. There is a lot to be worked out with him as far as flexibility and pass protection, but for now – I don't think there was a better spot for him. You know, going to Tennessee with Derrick Henry, they want to get downhill. They want to play some gap power football. And I feel like that's what Isaiah Wilson does best. And then, you know, there are athletic tools to work with there. So as he is mulling in the run game, consistent coaching from an NFL coaching staff, getting him more flexible athlete, I feel like the ceiling is very high for Isaiah Wilson. And he landed into a spot that is very advantageous for him to continue to develop while he is asked to do what he does best right now.
2: Absolutely. And he's always, he's been one that's improved every single year. He came in, I think he came into campus weighing almost 400 pounds and he's kind of gotten better each and every uh, year that he's been at Georgia. So, uh, the lions, uh, they jumped up, grabbed Deandre Swift in the second round. Is that a good fit for, for Swift?
1: It, it was a little odd when I first saw it, to be honest. I mean, so like, I cannot, can, I cannot tell you enough, Corey, how much I love Deandre Swift. I think he ended up being like my 15th rated player on the board. Like I love DeAndre. He was my number one running back.
2: He was second uh, gone, right? With behind, uh, uh, Edwards Hilaire.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he was, yeah, he was the second off the board behind Edwards Hilaire. I actually liked, I mean, I I was mock drafting, um, Kansas city taking DeAndre Swift at that last pick in the first round. And that that was nasty. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like he just fit that team so much the ability to do everything, you know, running inside, outside zone, um, as a pass catcher, split him out in the slot. Like DeAndre Swift is just kind of that all-around playmaker that I thought Andy Reid could have done a lot of things with. They, they obviously feel like they got that, a similar mold in uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But, man, I I love DeAndre Swift. The value there in the, uh, in the 30s taking him to the Lions, it makes a lot of sense for the type of player they're getting. I have no problem with where he was picked. I just felt like it was a little out of the situation. I know on Johnson over there, um, the Auburn kid, has had trouble staying healthy over the last couple of years. But I didn't think offense – I didn't think running back was going to be quite that point of emphasis to them, that high of a degree. But, hey, man, if they can mix and match those two, they have varying skill sets. I feel like it could mesh pretty well. It took me by surprise. But, hey, um, if, you're, if you're selling me that you took the best player on your board – their pick, I think it was like 39 or something like that. Then uh, I'm totally sold on, on DeAndre Swift being that caliber of a football player.
2: Hopefully, uh, him and Matt Stafford will make a good tandem there. Um, going to the uh, look, looking at this next uh, draft class, uh, you know, you have obviously it's headlined by Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields at the quarterback position. Uh, who kind of slots in? Does Jamie Newman slot in anywhere um, after uh, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence?
1: So I, I feel like the uh, assumed top three are Lawrence Fields and Trey Lance, the North Dakota state kid, even though, you know, if, if he's going to declare as a registered sophomore is a great conversation to have as an FCS kid, which I don't think has ever happened. So mm-hmm. um, how likely that is, is going to be a huge question. I think Newman is in that pack with those senior quarterbacks with the, um, the Kellen Mons of the world, a bunch of SEC guys with so Kellen Mons of the world, the Kyle Trask's of the world, the Florida kid, it, the question is, is he able to elevate? I know um, you guys have Monkin now is your offensive coordinator, which is going to be, I, I think a really nice fit. I like a lot of what I see from Jamie Newman. His thing is Wake Force's offense is not a great way to evaluate quarterbacks. You know, they've this really delayed zone read offense where it's a one read and run type of system. I want to mm-hmm. see him be able to go through progressions, but I will say, If there is, you know, if I had to throw a couple senior quarterbacks that I think can make a dramatic leap, Jamie Newman would definitely be one of them. He's got every tool in the toolbox, you know, 6'4", 230-plus, very nice athlete, can do some stuff in the quarterback design run game uh, off of play action, and he's got a really nice arm, and he's shown the ability to be accurate when in rhythm. The question now I want to see is, you know, Can he go from being a one-read-and-run type of quarterback to going through two, potentially even three reads? That's the next kind of step. I think he's in a good situation, again, with Mocken as that offensive coordinator. I hope they open it up a little bit and let him really develop. But, yeah, I I think Jamie Newman can potentially be that guy. I just kind of have a wait-and-see type of label for him right now.
2: Does anybody else on that offense stand out to you?
1: Um, so on the offense, ah, man, you got, you got those two great underclassmen wide receivers that obviously won't be eligible this year, but Pickens and uh, Blaylock are extremely talented. I know a lot of people like Zemir White, the running back, cause they're, you know, really holding steady to him, you know, the talent that he had coming out. I know he's been banged up and then he was, you I know, think
2: technically running. he'll be eligible, right? Uh, what's that? I think technically, uh, Zemir White is eligible, right?
1: Yeah, he would be. Yeah. Cause he's a, th- a third year sophomore this year. So he would, he would technically be eligible. Um, haven't gotten deep into him yet, but I know there's a lot of traits to like, obviously he was the number one running back in the country coming out for a reason. And Georgia has been churning out running backs for a long time now. So uh, Zamir white would probably be the guy. And then I'm curious to see a couple of those offensive linemen as they, as they try to, as they continue to develop, I got a little glimpse of Trey Hill, the center. I, Liked a lot of what I saw from Trey. I, I think he, um, I think he is very talented and, uh, you know, there is some versatility to him at center. I was really impressed by a lot of what I saw. And then I know, so I think uh, Sawyer, is he, is he moving over to left tackle now? Did I hear that one correct?
2: Yeah, that's what they're projecting.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, he, um, I don't know if he's a true tackle at the next level, but I know I, I was, I followed his recruitment and that kid is extreme, extremely talented. So, I'm kind of waiting and seeing on those two offensive linemen. And then Zamir White's probably the headliner besides for those two underclassmen wide receivers right now.
2: Yeah. I would say uh, the, the perfect comp for Jamari Sawyer is uh, Isaiah Wynn. I think he kind of plays that athletic undersized uh, tackle role uh, could fit in either guard or tackle is kind of how I see him.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, his, his recruiting profile sticks for itself. You know, he was a, Really nice athlete, too, because, like, you know, he might be a little shorter, but he's physically well put together, too. And Isaiah Wynn showed a lot of growth last year, um, his first, uh, you know, healthy season with New England. So I dig it, man. Uh, George is really churning out some nice offensive linemen on top of running backs. So Sawyer's definitely a guy that I have on my radar for sure.
2: No doubt, no doubt. So what? Uh, so switching over to the defense, does Richard LeCount, does he make any noise in draft uh, draft boards?
1: Oh, absolutely, man. So there are three guys on that Georgia defense, which I'm sure we'll get to, that I absolutely am infatuated with this offseason. I feel like I'm becoming a a Georgia supporter, which is a little weird for me. But, I mean, it starts – LeCount's obviously the old man on the defense, senior going in. I feel like Richard LeCount is kind of a victim to being just so solid um, fundamentally that he kind of gets pushed aside a little bit. Like, I don't think that there's anything about him that screams, like, dynamic – But the thing about him is that he's just always in the right position. He's so well coached, comes downhill, doesn't miss many tackles. Like there's just such a solidness to him. I feel like some people take that for granted a little bit. But for me, that's what I want in a safety. You know, I want him to be consistently in the right zone, consistently um, balanced in in man-to-man coverage. And then he needs to run the alley like a bat out of hell. And I feel like the count kind of hits those things um super, you know I, I think he hits every box that you want to hit for a safety and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being a late first round pick you know right now I think he's more probably in the in the second round conversation but I, I think that a lot of teams are really going to dig Richard Lecal and everything that he brings to the field
2: yeah it'll be a big year for him uh, what jumps out about you uh what jumps out about Monty Rice
1: so, I mean, Monty Rice kind of fits the mold that everyone loves right now at linebacker. You know, he's a little undersized, but he he um, he covers a ton of grounds. He's he's that run-and-chase linebacker. He has some pretty good instincts in zone coverage as well. So, um, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a little lower on Monty Rice compared to some people, but, like, I, I totally get it. As like a mid-round pick that, that can really, you know, run-and-chase type of player, you know, against those outside zones teams. I think that Monty Rice – Navigate space really well, so I totally get it. He fits the modern mole of linebacker. I just worry a little bit about him at the point of attack because you know some guys can get away with not having a ton of length if they have a you know powerful lower half to be able to stack and shed. For him, I just I feel like I see him get engulfed a little too much in the run game. But I, I totally get the tools are there. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're selling me on this guy is a run and chase will linebacker and then we'll continue to develop him and physically, get him better at the point of attack. Then you could definitely sell me at money, um, you know, down the road as a draft prospect.
2: Does anybody else on the defense stand out?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let, let me gush for a little bit, I guess, because you you the defense actually has two of my favorite guys. Um, you know, sticking in the secondary with account. I am a big Eric Stokes fan. I nice. um he, he kind of got rumored a little bit to maybe potentially be in this last class. Cause I think he was a redshirt sophomore this past year. So he was technically eligible, but he was thinking
2: about it. I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think he was pretty close from what I was hearing. And mm-hmm. he was a guy that I didn't get around to because before, you know, he was kind of, you know, in between and I was going to go to his tape. And then he ended up obviously, you know, choosing to go back for his redshirt junior year. So I never got around to his tape and I felt like some people didn't get to his tape as well because they saw, you know, zero career interceptions in two, in two years of playing time and kind of just, you know, said, uh, wait and see type of player. But I went to his tape, and if for people that loved C.J. Henderson coming out of far this year, I feel like you're really going to like Eric Stokes a ton because I felt like athletically, I think that dude's a legit 4-3 athlete with length. Man coverage skills, he stays in phase exceptionally well. I think he can... He can cover various types of body body frames and skill sets, and I, I think that no matter if you have a smaller receiver, you have a larger receiver, I think he matches up well. I think he can follow guys into the slot and be able to play man-to-man coverage. Like I think there's so much to like about Eric Stokes, and honestly, I, I would—he's another guy I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the first-round conversation with the athletic tools he has. Um, I really. Really, he was, he was one of my fi- my uh, most surprising watches so far this offseason. I liked him so much. I didn't really have incredibly high expectations when I popped it on. But, the you know, after I got to, like, the third game of him, I'm just like, man, this guy just – he's always in the right position. He's always in phase. And then you see him turn and run. He's smooth. And then he can run with anybody. So, I'm a big fan of Stokes. And then the last guy I kind of have on that defense that I'm really keeping a close eye on that's going to be a first-year eligible guy is – um. The uh, number thirteen, the edge uh, Aziz,
2: Aziz Ozalori.
1: Yeah, he's um, five and
2: a half sacks.
1: Yeah, he had five and a half sacks, but I mean, a couple games you pop on. Like I, the first game I watched was the Tennessee game where he had like ten quarterback hurries or some crazy mm. number. And he's just
2: always back there, he's a disruptor.
1: Yeah, yeah, he and he does it in the run and pass game too. I thought he was just going to be kind of a you know just a pure pass rusher, but he he squeezes gaps inside well. He, he's a tough dude to match up with. He's incredibly quick, transitional quickness around the arc. There's a ton to like with Aziz. Um, I don't know how likely it is that he declares this year, but he is draft eligible. So he's obviously a guy to keep an eye on. And uh, I, I'm i a big fan. I feel like I'm going to be a bigger fan on him than some people are at the moment because I feel like a lot of people are a little bit of more of a wait and see type on him. But uh, Ojalari definitely has my, my interest peaked right now. What's his uh, best comp? Best comp. That's a good one. I don't even know if I have one yet. Um, let me think real quick. You know, he kind of reminded me a little bit of Dante Fowler when he was with, I, coming out of the University of Florida. I, I felt like they were both really solid athletes, and then they're a ton more physical than than you would expect. I, there was one play, Ojulari against Tennessee, where it, it was a little stunt. He kind of snuck through the inside gap. Um, and then he was, he he got uh, got picked up by Trey Smith, but you know, if people aren't too familiar with Trey Smith from Tennessee, that is a big man, a very powerful man. And he kind of just put his head down and put his, put his uh, helmet right in the middle of his chest. And he moved Trey Smith off his spot. And I was, I was really surprised. I mean, that was one of the more impressive plays I saw. And he didn't even make a tackle or a tackle for loss or a sack or anything. I was just like the power there, the power is there, the physicality is there at times. Uh, I think it's just more on him just being consistent on a snap-to-snap basis type of thing.
2: So does Malik Kering, does he uh, does he factor in it at all?
1: Yeah, uh, so Malik's a guy that, you know, he kind of plays that big end role a little bit um, in, your, in your odd man fronts, but he's a guy that I think he's only listed like 6'3", 280 or so, but, you know, he kind of just does everything very solidly. I think he could actually play a little bit of edge and be that physical run stopper, and then you can kind of move him different spots inside and and there's a lot to like with malik and then i know a lot of people also like the the uh jordan davis kid he's a, he's a massive human the um, nose
2: guard yes
1: yeah nose guard like six six 330 he's a big dude so a lot of people like him a ton and uh, i wouldn't be surprised if he begins to rise a little bit because i know there was actually a couple of plays where he showed a little more athleticism than you might think for a guy that size so definitely a couple guys inside to keep an eye out before i feel like just you know, from a college football perspective, not even an NFL draft perspective, Georgia has a lot of dudes this year, man. That defense is going to be pretty nice from what I've seen so far.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's a defense that ranked number one in a lot of categories uh, a year ago and only, only getting better as far as prospects go. So um, before I let you go, Ryan, uh, I was wondering if... Uh, Any sleepers in the in the SEC? You know, we know we know about Jamar Chase. We know about Trey Smith. But is there anybody on like a on like a Vandy or an Arkansas or, you know, a Mississippi State that that's coming in that nobody knows about?
1: Uh, I mean, so he's gaining a little bit of traction right now, but I really like Nick Bolton, the linebacker out of Missouri. That kid is I kind of comped him to Danny Trevathan with more pop. He uh, he gets downhill in a hurry. He's only about six foot, 230, 235 pounds, but you can't you really can't tell at the point of attack, man. He really stacks well. Um, he's a really tremendous athlete. Was able to talk to him. He's a bright kid. He was a former safety. He had over 100 tackles this year. You know, like nine tackles for loss, but then he also had 10 pass breakups and a couple of interceptions. So a lot of all around game to really get excited about. Um, for, for um, you know, what I think is going to be a struggling Missouri program, but I, I'm a big fan of Nick Bolton. He actually is one of my top rated linebackers right now. And the guy that I think is going a little under, uh, under the radar, but a guy that's definitely gaining traction right now.
2: Wow. That's a, that's impressive. You know, Missouri is such a team that, that they fly so far under the radar at this point. Nobody, nobody really knows what they, what they bring to the table. So That'll be interesting to look and, and see how that uh, Missouri defense un unfolds. But Ryan, um, where can we find you on social media, and and uh, where can we find your work?
1: Yeah, uh, so on, on social media, you can find me at Rise the letter N Draft on Twitter um nfldraftbible.com is where most of my content is as well as the dynasty draft room which i do a lot of freelance writing for and then obviously on the believe podcast network believe in nfl draft prospects which like yourself we're, we're dropping our first couple episodes very soon so excited about it so you know again rise and draft on twitter the letter n draft on twitter to follow everything that we're doing over here
2: awesome ryan well i appreciate you joining me and uh you know best of luck with your pod and uh you know, keep, keep killing it over there at NFL Draft Bible.
1: Absolutely, man. appreciate it, Corey, so much. Anytime you want to talk ball, man, it's uh it's all we can do right now is, uh, you know, talk about what's hopefully going to happen. So
2: absolutely. So, okay, cool. Thanks, Ryan.
1: Oh, no problem, Corey. Thank you for having me on, man. I want to thank you for listening to the
2: Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. You can find us on social media at Believe in Dogs on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also rate us on iTunes and also catch us and follow us on Spotify and Stitcher and any other podcasting platforms of your choice. So I want to thank you. And as always, go dogs.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently